This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. Financial markets are up and down, and the crypto markets are especially volatile. Is now a good time to jump in, or are digital currency assets all washed up? To answer those questions, Josh Rhodes. Josh, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, well, thank you very much. Nice to uh, nice to meet you. So, um, so you're an expert in this, or you're a specialist in this. What uh, what do you think is the uh, prognosis? I mean, are, things are looking pretty pretty sad for a lot of people in the crypto markets. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things to remember, you know, as a as an investor in any market, is that that markets move in waves, and uh, it's only really. Uh, painful if you look at the market in short-term time horizons. Uh, that I think that's one of the things that's really difficult because investing is emotional. Ultimately, it's a psychological um, gauntlet, if you will. So when you deploy capital, everybody wants to see it go up and to the right at all times, uh, but that's just not how the markets work. And so once you get in there between the muscle fibers and you start to understand that you know, what the buy pressures and what the sell pressures are. And then macroeconomics. I mean, let's, let's be honest for the first time in what 14 years, the federal reserve is basically withdrawing liquid money out of the market uh, in droves and constraining the economy. So the market's usually four to six months ahead of the economy. Ironically, if you go back and look at the the charts last November, is when the the dollar, the DXY, the U.S. Uh, Treasury Index, started marching its way up, and stocks and crypto started marching their way down. And for twelve months, they've been doing that yeah. uh, on the macro. Well, you know, because because crypto is the most uh, speculative of a lot of these alternative assets. I mean, there's a lot of different alternative assets uh, in the marketplace, but because crypto is probably the most volatile, it's the place that big investors pull their money out first. And, and that causes even more volatility. True? True, yes. The market cap for crypto as a whole um, is around a trillion dollars. Um, gold as an asset by itself is 10 trillion. And then when you start getting into equities and the rest of the world, you're, you start getting into, you know, hundreds, tens of trillions, if not a hundred trillion or more. So yeah, anytime you move something with a small market cap, it moves dramatically. Yeah, well, and that's uh, you know, because small investors can make can make big waves, and and they these individual people who are buying and selling uh, really can uh, can make can move markets in a big way. Yes, absolutely. Uh, tell whales, me, um, tell me yeah. your assessment. Uh, a lot of these whales are individual people. They may be be moving five or ten or twenty million, but these are not like professionally run private equity funds or or hedge funds. Uh, are they are these individual people? Maybe you know some of them. I mean, you know, how thoughtful are they about their decisions or what's kind of going on? What kind of people are these whales? Oh, they're you know, they 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 exercise the same level of human greed that we're all capable of and they know what they're doing. Um I don't think anyone out there really has the noble mission of supporting the market more than their purse strings. Uh, there are hedge funds and VC uh, firms that are heavily involved. 
you don't see the sovereign wealth funds or the pension plans yet, which is really where the big money, you know, the kind of the wealth of nations yet simply because, at least in the United States, because it's, we don't have the regulation that would permit them to be a part of it. So, yeah, you start to get in the the big bag holders, the central exchanges. So, you know, a lot of the systemic central exchange failures of 2022 has been what hurts has hurt the market, along with funds like Three Arrows Capital. Um, they've basically liquidated themselves, over leveraged. They've dumped a ton of coin onto the market, which creates, you know, catastrophic sell pressure. And then um, the smart money moves in and grabs it up at bargain prices. So it's all, it's all very much part of a, I guess, a manipulative narrative, the same way the stock market is. The crazy thing about crypto is though, you can see it all. It's on the technology permits us to watch it all happen in real time on open ledgers, uh, on blockchain and stock markets. When, you know, when things like Enron are happening, you don't, it, it, you don't see it happening until it's over and uh, everybody's hurt and damaged. But well, you, uh, you, you, can, you know, you didn't see it. You didn't see the FTX deal until uh, until it no, exploded. No, you, you certainly can't. Um, but there are things like, for example, uh, after after FTX uh, fell, uh, you could wa- we, we were watching in real time a hacker. Uh, move in and grab somewhere between 200 and 400 million dollars worth of Ethereum. You know, you could see it, uh, it happening in real time. We're watching him now even swap that Ethereum by the hundreds of millions into Bitcoin um, actively. So there, there's activities, I guess, and accountabilities. Now, those wallet addresses are anonymous unless you dox yourself. So there's, it's not necessarily that we can enforce things better, but ultimately, Federal governments, et cetera, are going to get better at um, tracking down criminals for sure. Let's, um, I want to I want to go over this uh, anonymous thing that you just yeah. said, because a lot of people think that crypto is uh, untraceable. Not so. Not so. Right. So explain to us the difference between traceability and anonymity. Well, without trying to get in too, too, too technical, um, you know, there is a level of anonymity anonymity in that you know a, a wallet address uh, a, a public key technically speaking is a, a collection of numbers and letters right it's it's it, but it may not it doesn't say your name it doesn't have your your billing address or anything like that a, a, attached to it um but um you can by voluntary means or by acts of disclosure by certain centralized organizations that need to let you know where their their wallets are, um, they can be, you know, doxxed and you can watch those wallets. But you can't just uh, there is a level of anonymity that if you go and look on the open ledger or on a blockchain explorer and you can see wallet addresses, the top 10 wallet addresses of Ethereum, for example, it doesn't have people's names next to them. So unless you reveal your identity or unless a, you know, federal agency subpoenas the IP addresses and really tracks you down to, you know, uh, on a, on a technical internet service provider level, it, you can maintain a level of anonymity and you can do nefarious things with it because one of the wonderful and also double, I guess, two edged sword characteristics of Bitcoin and crypto alike is that, 
in most, in, especially in Bitcoin, but in most cases for crypto, the transactions are immutable. Meaning if I send you a hundred dollars, um, no one can reverse that transaction like you might be able to do on the traditional banking SWIFT system. That's a good thing in that tyrants can't steal our money or uh, keep us from engaging in commercial activities that we want to be a part of. Um, but it it's also could be a bad thing if, if you accidentally give a tyrant or a criminal access to your wallet, you know, you won't be able to get your stuff back. So it's the ultimate expression of self-reliance and individual sovereignty for a lack of better. You know, do, so, you think, do you think that Americans uh, have the maturity and the self-discipline to be able to manage in, in a system where you are really responsible. I mean, many people are kind of used to the government kind of keeping an eye on them and making sure <laughs> things go right. They kind of provide the bumpers on the bowling alley lane, you know, that yeah, it's a great analogy falling off. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, do you think that most people kind of have what it takes to play ball in this arena? I think that most people do have what it takes. Um, what I think what I think is happening, though, going to your federal government reliance analogy is that it's more of the frog boiling in the kettle without knowing it situation, because ever since Nixon took us off the gold standard in 71 and even prior to that, back to Bretton Woods after World War Two, really even World War One, we've been on a monetary system that is that is corrupt and manipulated. We just don't know any better, though. We grew up on it, you know, like. The dollar has been losing its global purchase power for as long as I've been alive um, and anyone listening to this as long as they've been alive. So it, it you know, what's the greater what's the greater evil continuing to walk uh, like zombies in a monetary system that is uh, like sand on a seashore, you know, eroding under our feet or acquiring a couple of more skills and a little bit more knowledge on a more mathematically sound monetary system. And I think that's the decision we're going to have to make. And ultimately it'll be up to the populace to, to do that based yeah. on adoption. Do you think that, um, do you think that the United States is going to adopt a virtual currency in the future? Oh, I have no doubt. Yeah. CBDC central bank, digital currency. Yeah. I mean, it's already, it's already in the plans. I mean, the White House um, has issued statements even within in the last 60 days. Uh, Federal Reserve, U.S. Treasury, it's all happening. Senators have bills on the floor waiting to get passed. It'll happen. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you 100 percent. I, I 100 percent think this is uh, in the cards in the next 10 years. Um, it's going to require a lot of regulation and a lot of rethinking, uh, which is been set back somewhat because of this FTX deal here that's just uh, happening. But uh, but I'm I'm 100% with you. Let's talk about regulation for a minute. What kind of regulation uh, do we need to give all kinds of people, organizations, the comfort level to come into the market? And as you already referenced, uh, to allow these bigger entities, pension funds and so forth, uh, the, the legal right to even invest anything even if they only slice off a percent of their allocation. Yeah. I mean, the latter, the latter is the most important priority in my opinion. Um, Congress needs to do their job, 
and just say, these are commodities or these are securities. And if they would say one or the other, then the SEC or the CFTC, and it's leaning towards CFTC right now, would be the governing agency that protects consumers and does the whole thing and um, leads the way on enforcement of the policy set by Congress. But yeah, I think the biggest thing we need to do is say, hey, look, this is a these are regulated commodities and it's legal in America to trade them out in the open in the marketplace. And whether you're Fidelity or Coinbase or uh, a licensed financial advisor, you can direct your clients to invest in these commodities at their at their own risk, at their own uh, reward. And what when when sovereign wealth funds and pension plans get access, I'll give you an example. Uh, you, you take some of these larger institutions who are already positioning. I mean, they literally are just getting their race cars pulled up to the start line, like Blackstone, Fidelity, um, the largest asset managers on the planet. If, if they have they have signaled that there is a massive institutional appetite to buy Bitcoin, just Bitcoin, not even talking about the rest of crypto, just Bitcoin. If they allocated two percent black BlackRock, if they if they allocated two percent of their client portfolios to Bitcoin, the bit the price of Bitcoin, the amount of liquidity that would flow into the the space would be so parabolic um, that. Bitcoin's price would shoot beyond 200,000 almost overnight. So yeah. that's that's kind of where we are. It's it's just like any any access uh, portal that's created to the larger liquidity of global wealth is is going to create asymmetrical upside for people positioned in crypto. I think you know, it's, it's good you bring this up because I think that one of the things people don't understand is the fact that the government has not modernized its regulations around these types of things uh, is part of the reason the the whole industry is having such a hard time getting rolling. And yes. it's, it is doing pretty well. I mean, the fact yeah. that it's at close to a trillion dollars, somewhere between 800 uh, billion and a trillion dollars, that's a pretty good market cap, you know, when you consider. Yeah. But yeah. the truth is that when you stop and think about it, if the government would give some guardrails and yeah. tell us this is how it's going to work, uh, more people could play ball, more sophisticated people could play ball, and more sophisticated people would have more sophisticated demands. Yes. Yeah, so let's absolutely. talk about let's talk about FTX for a second. Okay. So they're in the Bahamas. Why are they in the Bahamas? FTX International based there. Um, you know, why I think to use a word I've already used just for nefarious reasons, you know, lack of oversight, offshore type activity that they wanted to, you know, operate under. They do have, they obviously have had a U.S. entity, FTX U.S., um, but the larger entity was, you know, the international parent company. So that's who held the keys to the kingdom. And and that was the exchange. Yeah. Right? It's like a trading that's exchange. Right. And that's so right. a lot of money gets held there. And, you know, I, I can't help but think that the auditors, are going to be complicit in this problem. They they are going to get hung out to dry. Yeah, or if there if there even were auditors, that's that's the thing. Like we're going through the the same the same gentleman who uh, did the um, the transition CEO role for Enron is doing 
is doing FTX and he came out with a bankruptcy filing, you know, just, Hey, this is what I've gotten under the hood and I've, this is what I've found. And I mean, FTX international didn't even have an accounting department. They're dealing with billions and billions of other people's money and they didn't even have an accounting department. So I I thought that there was an auditor, uh, you know, for, uh, they had a separate auditor for the United States entity. They had a separate auditor for some international, which by the, by the way, if more sophisticated people were involved in these deals, I mean, bigger companies, highly organized organizations, uh, they would have called out something like this. Like, Oh yeah. It's very irregular to have two different auditors. I mean, the only reason you have two different auditors, two different companies is so that one auditor doesn't know what the other auditor is finding out. (laughs) I mean, that's the only reason, you know? Yeah. 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 hundred percent. I mean, if you compare Coinbase and what they have to go through as a publicly traded company on the yeah, NASDAQ. Just just to be clear, that's a United States company. Yeah. Uh, it's audited. I think it's audited by Deloitte, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. yep. Highly, uh, highly sophisticated. Uh, you know, their their processes, their internal controls, they're required to maintain uh like a one-to-one. There's no leverage. They yeah. don't loan out their money, yeah. whatever you give them. I mean, I mean, it's a clean, good operation. That's the model really for what should be happening. Yeah, and that was cool. the that was the anti the antithesis of what FTX was doing. Yeah. So why doesn't the United States say, look, it's clear that people want to do this, but we have to create some guardrails. Why oh, isn't the United no. States doing it? I mean, my personal opinion is that they've they've been uh, extremely uh, the, the the U.S. government specifically has been extremely damaging to retail investors. Um and have cost them a lot of money and a lot of heartache because uh, there's a lot of turf warfare happening happening amongst the bureaus um, in the executive branch. And it's just it's preventing the guardrails from being placed uh, in an appropriate manner. And we know that FTX's CEO was lobbying with Gary Gensler, the chairman of the SEC, to create regulations uh, with other legislators prior to the collapse. And so it's just, you know, you never know who to trust. You never know who who is acting for the will of the people versus power, you know. Let me give you a different uh, idea about yeah. what uh, what I think might be going on, why the government's dragging its feet. Please. You know, I remember when the Internet was born, 1995. That's when we, the first time any of us got email addresses, uh, that's the first thing you know, used to go on AOL. And then it kind of became a WWW thing and there were yeah. homepages. I mean, it was very, very cryptic back in those old days. And the first thing that took off, the first thing was travel agencies, people who were 50 back then, who now are 80. So our grand, you know, like, like our kids, grandparents, you know, like our parents, right. Um, those people, they fell in love with the internet because they could book their own travel. <laughs> Airlines started getting married. Do you remember this? You know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The early Expedia days, all that. Okay, yeah. exactly. So travel agents got wiped off the face of the earth. They got yeah. wiped out. Yeah. And since then, the internet has wiped out one you know, type of intermediary after the next. Mm-hmm. Well, Wall Street is nothing but a giant intermediary. They've pretty mm-hmm. much got a big fence around most of the money in the country. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised if uh, Gensler, who is a Goldman guy, um, is dragging his feet so that some of his buddies, you know, on Wall Street, oh, yeah. can get their ducks in a row 
yeah. and start acquiring the the rights to all these kinds of technologies so that they don't get wiped out. And who has been making the big investments? Visa, MasterCard, American Express, it's the big the big agencies, the big mortgage companies, all the big money companies. You know, I mean, that's that's my take on on why this oh, thing is. I think you're well. spot on. I mean, you can I, I, I even today uh, it was discovered that J.P. Morgan Chase has a trademark on a crypto payments wallet of their own. While J, uh, while Jamie Dimon will sit on a stage in Qatar at a you know international monetary forum talking with others about how it's a inferior asset class. So they will, they will, they will show you one thing with the right hand while the left hand's behind the curtain, you know, or picking your pocket. Like it, well, it that, is, so that, so that's the deal is that these, these uh, organizations are trying to gather control. Yeah. So they're, they're talking it down until they have the control. Once they have the control, then they can come back and then they can uh, talk it up and then all the consumers will buy in. Right. And that's why I want everyone listening to this in real time. And that's what I'm telling all of my members uh, in my mastermind is like, hold on, survive, advance, and don't let manipulation create uh, or, or force you to capitulate because capitulation is the tool that uh, the the big money institutions and governments use to create despair in the hearts of individual investors um, and small businesses so that they will sell their bags at a low price and the bigger institutions come in and gobble it up and then ride that that accretive wave back up to the top of the market with their liquidity. It's it's just a time to, you know, dollar cost average, you know, invest in what you believe in and hold on. Yeah. People have to remember that uh, we're at the very, very beginning of the cycle with crypto. I mean, it's still, even though it's sort of around 10 years old, it's really kind of in the beginning. It really is just yeah. kind of getting going. And yeah. uh, you think about the internet, the internet's 30 years old. Yeah. It's, it's not that old. I totally. mean, the computers on our desks have only been there for 35 years, maybe 40 years, the longest. Agreed. That's not very long. Yeah. And and so the, a lot of good things have happened, but they're they're not done, you know. So I just want to make sure that you know uh, you know what we're talking about is not uh, so cynical that you know we're kind of giving the wrong impression. Sure. Yeah, you know? I, I I don't think um, I'm 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 way more bullish on crypto simply because of the asymmetric asymmetrical upside that it has versus the risk. Um, you can buy Bitcoin and potentially, you know, enjoy a two to who knows six or seven X in the next 18 to 24 months, or you can buy Coca-Cola and maybe make, you know, nine to 15% a year in the next 12 to 24 months. It's just up to like where you are too, like individual financial landscapes, matter a whole lot. Um, so I, I think individual people uh, or even organizations who are looking to invest in this asset class, they just need to be ready to, I think everyone who bought Bitcoin and held it for three years or longer at any period of time are in profit. That's basically how to look at it. And then it's just a matter of measuring, well, how much profit. And the, and the mistake that most people make is that they buy high, they buy and they FOMO in, and they see they see everybody talking about it, and then they they buy it when it's at all time highs, 
like 40% of everyone who owns Bitcoin now bought it last year during the bull run. Well, now they feel like they're, they're, they're stupid investors. But when in reality, if they'll just hold on for another 24 months or 477 days until the next Bitcoin happening, which is usually the mark of the pinnacle of the bull run so far, then they'll be good. So it's just a matter of having maturity and patience. Yeah. Easier said than done, by the way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so what, um, What's next? You got any favorite, uh, you know, you got Bitcoin, which is kind of the main one, and then Ethereum, and then there's all these altcoins. Yeah. Let's explain that first, and then we'll talk about some of your favorites. Yeah, basically anything that's not a bit, that's not Bitcoin is an altcoin. It's an alternative coin. Ethereum being their lead sled dog, uh, I think 68% of all other crypto are built on top of the Ethereum layer or network. So it acts like a programmable money um, but yeah, there's, there's, you know, we were talking about this before we started recording. There's almost 22,000 different altcoins out there. They're not all winners. Um, but the way I tell people to look at it is they're basically technology companies is the way they need to be looked at. So if you're like, uh, you know, what is it, you know, is this a material tangible thing that I'm buying? Well, yeah, you're buying probably a governance token or a security token or some native coin or token, uh, of a, of a, of a technology company. And what you need to look at or look for is the use case or the utility of that particular coin. What will it do? Will it save money or make profit or generate revenue for a real world business? Um, I One of my favorite use cases right now is a, is a, is a coin that I'm an investor in um, and they are in the, the trucking, trucking and logistics industry. And their entire role is to provide liquidity to trucking companies of which there are a million in North America and it's a trillion dollar industry. And but no one knows this except unless you're in the trucking industry that trucking companies they often get paid on net 90, net 180 terms, right? So their cash flow is really difficult. They've got to pay for gas, you know, drivers, whatever, all their overhead. But if you're, you know, if Walmart's, you know, Walmart warehouses are paying you on a net 180, how do you pay the bills? And so the traditional banking system for decades have provided factoring services where they affect you effectively buy the invoices from the trucking companies forward or advance them the cash and then charge what is effectively a 30% credit card bill on top of that annually. Well, this coin that I'm talking about comes in and does the exact same thing for pennies on the dollar. And they provide that liquidity to these trucking companies. So I'm looking for things like that when I look at altcoins. I'm not buying the dog coins, the community coins, the things that Elon Musk is going to tweet about on Saturday Night Live, whatever. Those are the those are not use cases. They they have um, hyper hyperbolic moments in time, and then they fade away. The things that you want to look at are things that actually have a use or businesses, or even the future of the crypto fabric. Yeah. You know, uh, like you, I kind of describe, uh, I describe these little uh, tokens or coins as it's got to have a business plan. Yeah. But the coin itself doesn't have so much value, but the business plan behind it, they're little softwares that, that each one does something different. 
Yeah. You just got to figure out what they do. You know, let's talk for a second about NFTs okay. uh, because um, I, I love this concept and, yeah. you know, they're, they're, it's a little harder to understand for most people to kind of give us a little background there. NFT stands for non-fungible token. Um, unfortunately, because we haven't really had language for it or understanding of it traditionally, the industry went went the way of art. And so that's why you see people spending unbelievable amounts of money for pictures of neon monkeys and cats and whatever else. Because really, honestly, just uh, to be frank, we had to put we had to get it down on a level to where the populace could understand what it is exactly. Ultimately, the way I look at NFTs is the way I look at the deed to my house or my properties. You know, they are proof of property ownership ultimately. And even now we have real estate uh, that's being sold as NFTs, AKA if you're the NFT holder, you own that property. Um, If you buy certain NFTs out in the marketplace, they come with benefits. If you're, you know, buying the correct NFT and those NFT benefits might be intangible benefits. They could be direct tangible uh, benefits that provide you streams of income. Uh, They're all over the place. Uh, Video game industry is adopting NFTs. So you can own uh, actual property inside of video game worlds. We, We like to call that the metaverse. Um, all the way to, you know, tokenizing real world property and providing proof of ownership of that. Um, It's just a matter of owning that deed rather than it being filed down at the county courthouse. It seems seems to me uh, tokenizing real estate, which is, you know, instead of having a paper deed, you have an electronic deed, which is what that would be, makes a tremendous amount of sense. When you start going into the metaverse and having, uh, you know, buying like, a pretend island and a pretend game and a pretend <laughs> world and a pretend life. I mean, to me, that starts being a little bit, uh, you know, funny. I mean, that's like turning our life into a video game. I mean, there yeah. are real applications for NFTs. And by the way, uh, just so that everybody understands, the word fungible uh, means the same, you know, so yeah. uh, dollar bills are theoretically fungible. Yeah, great point. Theor- theoretically fungible because it doesn't matter which one the bank gives you, they're all the same. Yeah. But a collector would tell you something different. A collector would say that dollar bill has a mistake on it. Uh, that's, yeah. That one's worth a lot more than all the other ones. Sure, so, sure. You know there there are, and that's why they're serialized and everything else. So these NFTs really have a way of categorizing things that are not uh, organized or categorized, uh, you know, very well the way we do it now. And it really is an upgrade. And these things are going to be rampant uh, some years from now. And I can understand why they would do art because if you know if I take a picture of you. Uh, you know, and I, and I email it to you, who has the original? We both do. <laughs> right. Right. You know? Yeah. So that, so those NFTs, uh, those pictures, those art pieces of art have a contract address, kind of like a social security number or, you know, a, a serial number. And that contract address if it is in my wallet, that means the NFT belongs to me. And then you have to understand wallets, but basically they act like our permission-based username and password for everything that we own on the blockchain or on a blockchain. So yeah, NFTs are definitely going to be more and more utility-based moving moving yeah. forward. You know, listen, uh, Josh, we could probably go uh, for a long time, but uh, but the bottom line is that the 
the promise of the show is to deliver the inside track, you know, the information that people don't normally get the best, shortest, fastest way to get something done. Uh, And you have definitely delivered the inside Mm -hmm. track on how a lot of this stuff works. Uh, If we had another two hours, I'm sure you deliver (laughs) way, way more, but you know, people who deliver on the promise of the show, we call those people advantage players Mm -hmm. and you did deliver and that makes you an advantage player. And uh, we appreciate you being a friend of the show and being, uh, you know, being our guest here. So uh, thank you very much for sharing, and we'll put your information in the show notes. Uh, so if people are interested in uh, buying or getting some counseling about how this all works, uh, are they able to reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, CryptoYall.com, that's my website, and you can join over 4,000 people on a free weekly newsletter. Just go subscribe and have fun. Awesome. Well, listen, man, thank you very much for uh, for sharing with us. Uh, Really appreciate your insights and uh, what you had to say. Honored to be here. Thank you. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a huge thanks to our podcast show producer, David Wolf, and the team at Audavita Studios. Profit from the inside wouldn't be possible without these wonderful professionals. To learn more or to find out how you can launch and produce your own podcast show, reach out to www.audavita.com. That's A-U-D-I-V-I-T-A.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.